Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. There are times that after you preach something that there's just sometimes you just don't know what else to say. And that's kind of how I felt after this morning. Just didn't really know what else I was going to have to say. Felt like the Lord just used me as a sponge and squeezed out every drop of water, literally and figuratively. But he possibly could this morning. Amen. So I thought, Lord, what else do you want me to say? So I want to come to the word of the Lord here tonight. I want to thank Brother James Malone for being obedient to the Lord. Because I believe what he said is in tandem with what God has laid on my heart to say here tonight. And that just goes to show we need not to take for granted those moments of starting services. Amen. It's more than just some fanfare parade and just someone with a time slot. You know, we had the ability, all of us, to plug into the same thing. And all find the mind of God collectively that we just ebb and flow one off another. It's capable of happening. Amen. So I thank him for his obedience. Amen. Tonight, because him leading with that just kind of set some stillness to my soul of what I've been wrestling with today. Amen. Judges chapter number three and verse 31. Just one verse right here. I want to pluck here from the scriptures and I'm just doing this one verse because in essence that's kind of the the extent of the story (laughs) right here captivated encapsulated in one verse Bible says and after him was Shamgar the son of Anath which slew the Philistines 600 men with an ox goad And he also delivered Israel. We are in the time of the judges here in which this this context is. God raising up men to deliver Israel from their oppression. Them going to God, being dedicated to God, falling back in a cycle of following other gods, finding themselves under oppression, and God raising up deliverers at just the right time in order for them to once again find a relationship with God. Bible says, and this is, you can read a little bit in Judges 5, a little bit, Shamgar's name is mentioned again, but the essence of his story is right here in verse 31. And I want you to pick up on something, if you will, and you, you, you probably have maybe before in your reading. The Bible says, and after him was Shamgar. There was one that preceded, that came before him, that I think had an impact on then the way in which Shamgar handled himself. In his time, there was one that had went before him. Tonight, I, I want to minister this. We kid around sometimes. Oh, for the sake, you know, for the sake of the children, Lord, and all this. But I want to minister tonight for the sake of them that come after. For the sake of them that come after. Because, and after him was Shem. For the sake of them that come after. 
Let's pray tonight the Lord would touch us all here this evening. Father, we need you here. God, tonight, Lord, I'm just going to meander here in the scriptures. God, and begin to speak your word. God, and I pray, Lord, as I begin to share, Lord, your word, that there would be, Lord, an anointing from heaven that would come down and touch my mind and my spirit and my heart. God, to do, Lord Jesus, this anointed word, good service here tonight. I pray, oh God, touch each and every individual under the sound of my voice. God, let there be a connection in the realm of the spirit. I pray with the ebb and a flow, God, of what you would desire and what you would have, Father, in this house. God, and will not fail to thank you and praise you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. And the church say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight. In Jesus' name. There is within the state of Minnesota, a certain portion of Minnesota, a dog sled race that takes place over a part of that state. It's a dog sled race that is in the extent of 500 miles. And there was a lady back in 1987 who won this 500-mile trek of racing across Minnesota who in the following year of 1988 won the race again. Anybody through any type of estimation would no doubt label her as a pioneering woman uh, to think that a lady would go on a journey with her dogs across a 500 patch 500 mile patch of land through the bitter cold uh, and, and endure everything that she endured would no doubt be a, a pioneering type woman the, the 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 cold would be bitter cold during the time of year that this race was was ran and there would be howling winds and as the forecast told for this particular race of those two years there was almost blizzard type conditions the nights were very very dark nights and there were exhausting days in which they would bark and speak to their dogs across this land these well-trained huskies as they would pull her sled over the terrain of those hundreds and hundreds of miles from start to the finish of this race these little dogs just to uh, if you will give you a window uh, into the life of one that would do this these dogs were even fitted with little socks that would go over the paws because the ice along this terrain was so rough and so hard up on their paws. It was almost like sandpaper after so many miles that it could literally rip the pads off the feet of these dogs and so they would put these little socks on them and they had to remain strong and in great condition struggling no doubt this woman even had to be in great condition struggling with the elements and struggling with the animals here that she gave commands to as they bark and as they pulled and as they pressed in spite of all the odds of the elements and the conditions that were around them and after each race it would seem the interviews would come asking this woman what it was 
was that granted her this success? Was, was it her certain breed of dog or the bloodline that she had chosen? Was, was it the sled or the type of sled that she had chosen? Or how much training and effort had she went into something like this? And the bottom line was this, the question that begged an answer. They just wanted to know how in the world does a lady two times in a row win a race that's 500 miles long with all of the elements, with everything that you have to come up against and her simple reply was this she says well she says I just remembered that though there are others that have done it before me and I can do it too in another reading of this same woman's life I guess there is a race as well in another place of the country from Anchorage to Nome an 1100 mile race that she participated in as well and she won as well and when she was interviewed in that encounter thinking how in the world and she didn't just win it once but three times an 1100 mile race up in the Canada amen area and across if you will that part of the world amen they asked her how in the world 10 to 12 days of agony and pain how in the world did you do it and just again she gave her simple response uh, amen that seemed to be beyond belief I just remembered that somebody else did it before me I've come on this Sunday night to tell you and I something here this evening that there are things in this life, in this life called Christianhood that I do that I don't always witness the fingerprints of God. I can't always trace His handiwork and there are times that I walk in some lonesome valleys that even sensing His presence seem to be something very far-fetched and I can't even at times understand if God is around or where He might even be found. And there are in those moments when I don't know where God is and I can't feel him and I can't discern him working in my circumstances or in the calamity of my life that I look to other people that's in the crowd and I look to the brothers and the sisters and the patriarchs of the faith that went before me and I just come and settle it in my mind. I don't feel God right now, but I know somebody that's went the path before me. And you know what? If they did it, I can do it too. And I'm glad today that I stand in such a position of being able to have those type of people in my life that have went before me and exemplified some things. And that's great. And I like to testify about that. And I like to say, thank God. Amen. I'm fourth generation Pentecost in my family I thank God for that but the fact of the matter is this there are going to be some of those very same things that my children and the generation after me they're going to war with and they're going to ponder in their mind and they're going to think where is God and they're going to be wondering is there a God and they're going to be fickle sometimes and wonder if God's in their life and God is in their calamity and sometimes the only way that they will know is by those of us that go on before them. Someone say amen. We come to a juncture in the road in the history of Israel that is not a very good highlight, if you will, of the nation of Israel at this time. This was not their most memorable days. This was not the days that you would necessarily want to talk about of going through a series of different judges 
to get you out of oppression and back in good standing with God. There, something had happened for the Israelites. Amen. Something had taken place. Something had broken down in the nation of Israel. They had long time been under the leading and the guidance of Moses. And from him, the baton had been passed off to Joshua. The long leading of the arduous journey, if you will, with Joshua. The one that would actually lead them into the land of promise. The one throughout the whole book of Joshua, it seems like it's just a constant battle of overcoming and conquering. And these people would see the handiwork of God. That God, the God that promised them the land that flowed with milk and honey would come through for them in those moments of time. They were eyewitnesses of his majesty. They were eyewitnesses of his glory. And they could say without a doubt that they had seen God work in their benefit and on their behalf. But the problem of the matter is this. The Bible tells us that there would come a day that Joshua would just somehow go off into the horizon, so to speak. After living his days upon this earth he would die and the Bible says all the elders that outlived Joshua they would die and that left a generation then amen there that did not see the great works of the Lord and neither did know the Lord or the works that he had done not even so much that they had not witnessed them themselves but they had missed out on witnessing some of those things in the lives of those that went before them. It's in this setting that we're dealing with a nation then. A nation that is constantly in a cycle of oppression and deliverance. Oppression and deliverance. All they have is a story of what God used to do. But they have nobody going before them that God had done it in their lifetime. And so they are staged to a platform of oppression and deliverance. But the Bible says that God rose, arose, arose judges at the proper time to be deliverers for God's people. And if that being said, the Bible says in, in chapter number three that the second judge that was to arise in the time of all of this mayhem of the society of the nation of Israel was one by the name of Ehud. Ehud came... They were under oppression at this time. The Bible describes him that he was a left-handed man. Amen. A left-handed man. And when you look at it, it's not so much that he's left-handed by virtue of birth, but he's left-handed by virtue of having the ability in his right arm cut off. Yeah. It's not that he was left-handed like you and I may be born left-handed and he wrote left-handed and he ate with his left hand. But he was a man that was shut up, if you will, in his right hand. And as a, as a result of being shut up in his right hand, he had to adapt in such a way that he could use his left hand. You read about it and it's as though that maybe he was even a man or a warrior in war. That somewhere along the journey he got injured in battle with his right hand. But he wasn't going to allow that to, to cause him to quit. He was going to learn how to adapt and use his left hand. And as a deliverer God says I'm calling Ehud up. This left hand not by choice but by circumstance. And the Bible says whenever Ehud came. He went into Eglon and he told Eglon, he says, I got a word from the Lord for you. And he says, we need to go over here to your parlor. 
We need to shut the door on ourselves so I can tell you, amen, what the word of the Lord is. Amen. He went into that place with Eglon. He's going to speak to him, but little did Eglon know that that man that seemingly was handicapped before him in his right hand had adapted to use his left hand. He has his sword on his right thigh so that he could easily take it from his right thigh with his left hand. And the Bible says when they were all alone and no one was about, that Ehud took that dagger from his right thigh and he plunged it into the flesh of Eglon. Amen. He killed them there. The Bible says the fat came upon the half and the sword itself. And he opened the doors and he shut them. And victory was gotten for that nation that day because of this left-handed man that went in that was not originally left-handed, but he learned how to adapt to his circumstances. And there was victory as a result of that. And so we got a long story. You start reading chapter 3, you can read all the way down to verse number 30. And you're reading, by and large, whenever you get to, 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 to verse number 15 to 30, you're reading about the story of Ehud. A lot of time is spent. A lot of verses is spent to relay the story. But when we come to verse 31, now you want to talk about being unfair. Ehud gets verses 15 through 30. The judge before him gets about 1 through 12. And now here's Shamgar. You get one verse, buddy. Now you want to talk about life being unfair. But there was only so much that needed to be said. The Bible says, after him, Ehud was a Shamgar, the son of Anath. And it tells of his Exploit his delivering ability that he slew 600 Philistines with an ox goad. Ox goad was a farming instrument. Six to ten feet long. On one end it had a little spade so you could clean off the plow. And on the other end it was just a sharp pointing thing. It was a farmer's instrument. By and large, it's quite capable that whenever Shamgar used this instrument as a weapon in battle, that he may have already been tending to a field somewhere, doing his farming, as it were, that was upon him to do, not having any other instrument, not having any other weapon of war, but he just used what he, he adapted. He didn't have to have a bow with a quiver full of arrows. He didn't have to have a two-two-edged sword. All he needed to do was learn, hey, Ehud before me, somewhere in battle, he got shut up in his right hand, and he adapted on how to use his left hand, and he delivered Israel. I'm in a circumstance here. I don't have a bow at hand. I don't have a sword at hand. I don't have any instrument of war at hand, but I'm going to adapt. Let me tell you something, folks. We are crippling the next generation if we're telling him them that this is the only way concerning method. Amen. I believe we're going to stay true to the doctrine. I, I believe we're going to stay true to Jesus' name, baptism, and all the other things that the apostles taught. But sometimes methodologies change, and we got to learn to adapt. We would wrong ourselves and wrong the next generation if we tell them you can't fight a battle unless you got a weapon of war, honey. But if you got an ox goat, you just adapt and do what you need as the time arises. Come on. Come on. Good work. Yes. 
See, there was one time whenever the Lord in the New Testament Scripture, he sent his disciples out, and he said, take no sword, take no script. He said, but you go forth and you minister. It's not very much further down, amen, in some of the Gospels you see. He told them to go, and he said, take sword and take script. Now, which is it, Lord? The question is not which is it. It's this. He said the message is the same, but the methodology won't always be. Amen. Won't always be. What, what inspired Shamgar here is because there's one that went before him that adapted to his circumstance and still came out, if you will, profitable for the nation of Israel. You say, well, that's no big deal. I beg to differ. The Bible tells us in Judges chapter number 5, the environment and the state of Israel at the time of Shamgar arising as a deliverer. The Bible tells us that the highways that they would normally travel by were insecure. They were vulnerable all the time. They had to take different byways rather than the normal highways because they were insecure. The Bible tells us that the unwalled villages were abandoned. People wanted to get to the towns and cities where there were fortification because they couldn't just stay outside in the pasture anymore. Anymore. They couldn't just stay in the unwalled cities because their lives might have been vulnerable. And it was during a time of insecure highways. It was during a time of, of not being safe in your villages that didn't have walls. It's during a time, listen to me now, you read in chapter 5 that they didn't even at this time seemingly have any shields or any spears. They were unheard of in Israel. There wasn't any weaponry. So if even if Shamgar wanted a sword, there wasn't a sword to be found. And so every generation that says you need a sword to be able to fight, what are you going to say to the Shamgars? What are you going to say to the Shamgars? Are you going to tell them victory's not for them because they don't have a sword? Are you going to tell them they might as well go home with their tail tucked between their legs because they don't have a shield? Are you going to tell them they might as well give up because they don't have what's necessary? No, no, no. Not at all. What he's seen before him is what he practiced in his own life. He's seen someone a generation before that had the ability to adapt but still get the result and by no means compromise who and what he was. Honey, we need to just somehow exemplify for the generation that is coming after us that you can some still sometimes adapt to the circumstances. Keep your composure of being a child of God and not compromise certain things, but still do what is necessary as the time arises in order to be profitable in the kingdom for the time that you're living in. Someone say amen. It's laughable. Can you imagine trying to manhandle people with something that's six to ten feet long? I couldn't probably swing a bat that long at a ball and make contact. As soon as my wrists are breaking, the back end of it just now coming around a minute later. An ox toad. 
he had done something. I don't know if he knows the implications or the impact of his choices. But whether he knew them or not, they had implications. And they impacted a deliverer that would come after him that brought a shamgar. Now listen to me. This thing can have a domino effect through generations. Because of what Ehud did after him was a shamgar with an ox goad. But in chapter 5, we read of a JL with a tent peg. A little later, we read of a Samson with the jawbone of a donkey. What would have ever happened if Ehud just grew satisfied to think, I've been injured, I've been maimed, and there's no sense in trying anymore. I'm just going to give up. It probably raised a shamgar in the field that said, I don't have a sword. Let somebody else do the fighting. It may have influenced a JL that said, I'm just a woman out here trying to live faithful for God. What can I do for the Lord? It might have brought up a Samson that said, you know what? There's too many against me. There's thousands standing here. What good can I do? But because he had had the mindset, I don't care what's happened to me. I'm going to adapt and be used for the kingdom. Shamgar says, I'm going to be used for the kingdom. J.L. says, although I'm a lady, I'm going to be used for the kingdom. And Samson said, bring it on, boys. I got a jawbone. But there's somebody that's done this stuff before me. Someone say amen. amen. <laughs> the Bible says that Paul fought with the beast at Ephesus in Corinthians. Not in a literal sense, but that the makeup, the personality of the people is quite abrasive, quite intimidating. He fought with the beast of Ephesus. I do not find it then a surprise. That his protege in the gospel, Timothy, would become the first pastor of the Ephesians church. Thinking that if my father in the gospel could fight with the beast of Ephesus, I can go there and establish a church in Ephesus. Because somebody did it before me. It wasn't, it wasn't that the streets were lined up with men and women with their sickness and disease as Jesus came down the dusty road and were extending hands to touch the hem of his garment for healing and virtue to flow until one lady decided in herself, I've been sick for 12 years. I've had this flow of blood. It's been with me all alone. And she pressed on through the crowd that she might just touch the hem of his garment. And the moment she did, their blood was dried up. It was only after that that the street then are lined with others trying to touch to him. Why? Because they said, you know what? Somebody else did it before I did. Someone say amen. For the sake of them that come after. Someone say amen. There was a recording that I was I was reading not long ago. It was a it was a book. It's probably been now longer than what I 
uh, can even think now really in reality so many books have passed through my hands but nevertheless it was a book that I'd read and it was of a son giving an account of his father's uh, his father's time in the military uh, and went through some of the wars and some very horrific battles and he was talking to his dad and his dad didn't talk about warfare very much but he would talk about a little bit about whenever they would approach uh, uh, one of the islands that they were in the ship and they would have to what was called disembark they would have to disembark from the ship and it was very very difficult they had almost like a a network if you will of of rope that was going up the side of the ship and they would have to crawl over the side of the ship and come down that rope ladder and, and every every step of the climb they're encumbered by the heavy packs that the military had to wear they were just weighted down and they would have to go down to a smaller vessel that was in the water and so they had to make that force that descent down and, and ship next to ship the halls of each just banging against one another and it was just bobbing and yawning if you will in the water as they would go down on those little little ropes as their feet would be upon weighted down with all the burden of everything and his father told him he said son I couldn't tell you how many times that we have we have done that and it was a challenging experience for me he says you almost got sick to your stomach from the constant move of the boat as you was climbing down that, that rope and sometimes men lost their lives from two holes of a ship coming together and so their life was even at stake in those moments he said son there was only one thing that kept each of us boys going and that is we followed the back of the next marine that was below us he said we just followed the back of the next marine that was before us and we would keep telling ourselves if he can do it I can do it he said so much of what we went through whenever we were walking on the field and people lost the lower extremities of their body amen from a bomb he said much of how we got through it is because we just followed the back of the next marine that was before us I come to tell you in this house tonight we will suffer losses there'll be people annihilated there'll be people backslide there'll be people that just choose to walk away and sometimes the only thing that can keep you together is by following the back of the next saint, following the back of the next person that said I'm not going to give up, I'm not going to throw in the towel I'm not putting up surrender and folks we got to do it for them that come after needed somebody in my life before me but what I got to realize now at this stage of my life I got to be that person for the one that's coming after me why because what happens brother Terry I put all of my confidence put all my eggs in the same basket and I'm watching the one that's before me such a good tool of guidance so honorable and faithful to God, so, so, so ardent in their affection for the Lord and in their prayer, in their devotion, in their attendance to the house of God. But you know what happens, Brother Fred? Somewhere along the line, the Joshua's die off. The Joshua's, Sister Margaret. The Bob Garrett's and the... You hearing me? The Betty Phelps and the... They die off. And it's at that moment in time, though, I got to realize I'm not some little kid here sucking my thumb anymore. 
I'm not some infant over here that has to have my diaper changed and be so dependent upon who went before me. But now a row has changed and I gotta be that man and I gotta be that woman for the one that is coming after. I think the problem in the apostolic churches is this, that some have never made the role change. They're always trying to find someone else to follow in order to grow, in order to go, in order to succeed, in order to adapt. But you've got to realize somewhere in this process of life, you've got to stop being the follower and you've got to become the leader because somebody else needs to follow you. So- I can't just point everybody to Joshua because Joshua's dead now. Thank God for faithful men and women that we can point to. Thank God as a pastor when people come as new converts that we can point to someone and say there's a good person right there. If you want to see it fleshed out in real life, there's a good person right there. But what happens when they are no longer among us? Because at that point in time, I'll only be able to point this generation to a memory of the generation that is no longer in existence. And it's one thing to clap and parade around a memory, but it's another thing to clap and parade around an experience. Thank God for the great, great men of old and presidents and people that were very noble and there were chivalry and there were all those different type of concepts and we can go to our history books and we can read about them and we, we, we can underline their names and we can tell them how great they are. And that's good to a certain degree because even some of the great pitfall of America is this, is that we're missing leaders that have those same type of tendencies and passions that those in generations that went before them had and there's nobody to lead for the children to follow that's coming and it's not just a problem in the, in the world, it's a problem in the church. We talk about how so-and-so used to dictators and talk about how that one used to sing in tongues and talk about that one's 24-hour prayer meetings and that one's so-and-so. But if they're dead, we're just parading around a memory. What we need is an experience for the next generation. could stretch back in the history of my family and talk about memories. I can stretch back four generations and talk about memories. And about the lady who pastored a church virtually. It's all people say, that's grand. I want to tell that story to my children and that's fine. But we're going to be left handicapped. If the generation, my generation that precedes them don't have a flickering of the light, a power in the prayer, 
I gotta run. I really do. I need I need to be diligent here. <clears throat> Whenever the Shulamite of the Song of Solomon fell in love with her beloved, had all the affection and compassion toward him. She said in the Song of Solomon 1, 7 and 8, she says, Tell me, O thou whom my soul loveth, where thou feedest, where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon. For why should I be as one that turneth aside by the flocks of thy companions? Why should I go anywhere else except where you are? Why should I join myself to any of your companions when I want to be joined to you? He says, If thou know not, O thou fairest among women, he said, Honey, if you don't know, if you don't know where I feed the sheep, if you don't know where that location is, so that you won't be entrapped by my companions and following them, he said, Go thy way forth by the footsteps of the flock and feed thy kids beside the shepherd's tents. He said, If you don't know where I work, and you don't know where I feed. And you don't know where I nurture. He says you follow the footsteps of the flock that are nurtured by me. He says you get that there on the ground and you follow the hoof prints. And if you'll follow the hoof prints, they'll, they'll lead to the shepherd. They'll lead to the master. What are you saying tonight? I'm saying there are times you don't know where he is. There are times you can't discern his handiwork. It's hidden from the best of us. But he says if you want to know where I nurture and if you want to know where I feed, then the lambs that I call mine, you just follow their footsteps steps. In other words, it'll be all right as long as you just follow the one that has went before you. Oh, someone say glory. Is it important? Yes. It's important. Because I am fully convinced this evening if I must restate, I'm fully convinced that the activity and the actions and the response of Shamkar was really predicated upon the actions of Ehud, the one that went before him. There is a passage in Scripture that, and you could even look, uh, in some of the Bibles I've read in the past few years, whenever it gets to Genesis 30, the latter portion of Genesis 30, I've probably written in my margin or in the middle there this statement because it's whenever, it's whenever, whenever Jacob is going to be leaving Laban. And Laban says, hey, why don't you stay? Because I've kind of picked up on something. Whenever you're around, we all blessed. <laughs> I, just, I just picked up, you know, my livestock does better and the household does whenever you're, so why don't you stay? I mean, who wouldn't want that, right? You stay, I get blessed. Man, what a, what a hand-me-down is that? In this passage of Scripture, I've never got... I'm just being... You, you want to talk about... You know, people come to me saying, you know, I just don't understand the Bible. There's some things I just don't get. Well, welcome to the club. You think just because God puts pastor on somebody, it's like all knowledge in the all-knowing universe just falls in his head. It's like, whoa. 
pick a number, honey. But I'm just, I'm just crazy enough to admit to God in my daily reading. Sometimes I put in the, my kids someday will see this. I put there in the, in the, in the, in the binding there on the edge and margin of my book. I got it kind of just kind of arched over a few verses. And I say, you know, for all the life of me and my years, I have not just quite understood this. I hope that brings comfort to them someday. My not understanding. But it says, he says, I tell you what, Laban. He says, here's what we'll do. He says, if I stay, what's going to be my pay? What are we going to do here? He says, well, here, here's what we can do. He says, you go through right now, through all of your flock. You get all those that are, that are striped or what they called ring strike. He said, you get those or the black sheeps, if you will, of the family. And you take all of those out. All right? And, and, and I'll, as we go from this day forward now, I'll just be able to keep all that is ring striked or, 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 or the black sheeps of the family. They will be mine. But everything that seems to be pure and, you know, which do the, the, the trench to drink water, that that's whenever they would reproduce and conception would take place. Now, this was, an, I didn't understand, okay? This is what would take place. Jacob then would take like a rod and some type of reed and he would strip portions of it back. Showing the whiteness of the rod and it being speckled and it's being straight, these ring strikes and stuff. And he put them in the watering trough right before these that are, that are reproducing for conception. And the Bible says whenever he did that, their offspring would be ring straight and spotted and mottled. And the black sheep of the family. Now see, there's a whole lot about that I don't understand. How in the world is putting some scraped, ring-straked, spotted rod in front of somebody while they're trying to produce a child going to produce a child that's ring-straked and spotted? If that's the way it happens in real life, I have been real dumb all along. But it's what happened. As a matter of fact, he would so much work it that whenever he seen part of the flock that was strong, seemed to be of a good frame and skeletal work that he would put those ring straight rods and spotted things in front of them whenever they would conceive so that his because he's keeping all the ring straight and the spotted his would be the stronger the more muscular the skeletal structure would be better and so that is a scripture anybody understand that good I'm glad I'm not alone. I feel so good you have my self esteem went up just right now and without trying to get all deep and get deep in the water. Let me just give you a little surface thought here concerning whenever he put that in front of them, they became ring straight and they became spotted. Because whatever was in front of them is what they brought forth. When the spotted was in front of them, they brought forth something spotted. When the ring strike was in front of them, they brought forth something ring strike. When the black sheep, so to speak, rod was in front of them, they brought that forth. Whatever was in front of them is what came after them. And so if we can, for the sake of those that come after us, if we can, for the sake of those that come after us, let us exemplify godliness. 
Let us exemplify holiness. Let us exemplify soundness and truth. Let us exemplify the name of Jesus. Let us exemplify courage. Let us exemplify faith. Let us exemplify a tenacity. Why? Because if we live it in front of them, that will be what will come after. Hallelujah. Stand with me. I'm not going to hold you long. Just stand. You've done all the stand. Stand. And if you want me to explain how all that took place and why, I don't know. I'm just looking at the surface idea here. They brought forth what was in front of them. Okay? I don't know how all that works. There's some things like that. And God, I just don't know how it works. I just accept the results. Whenever, and I'm closing. Whenever David was in the latter years of his life, I'm sweating all over my technology out here. That's the reason why we insure him at the house. Because the sweat drips off my nose. Whenever David was at the, close to the close of his life, he was in one of his last battles and his life was almost snuffed from him. It was almost snuffed out. And those of his servants and those men that he had under his care basically told him, you know, we don't want you going anymore to warfare because we don't want the light of Israel to be extinguished. You're too valuable. You mean too much to us for that to happen. You've served your time of being a warrior and a fighter. Let us fight. Let us do the battle. And you can give us the wisdom, if you will, from the sidelines that are necessary in order to do this feat. And it's whenever we read of these particular scriptures, we know that David's life as a warrior started out in his great victory, no doubt, against the lion, the bear. But then the more public one in the eyes of Israel was that against Goliath, a giant. And it's in this closure of his life, the closure of his life and the battles that are going on, that there were still, the Bible says, whenever they entered to Canaan, there were still giants in the land, the Scripture says. And the Bible tells us that in the closure of the chapter in which David almost lost his life, in 2 Samuel 21, 22, it says, These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. These four giants fell by the hand of David and by the hands of his servants however if you were to read that text of 2 Samuel 21 you read it again again David almost lost his life in this battle he almost lost his life it was in reality the four servants of David who killed the four giants that is being spoken here David in this instance had not killed anyone but God ordained scripture to say that the giants fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants God gives credit to David first and then gives credits to the servants and we may ponder why because it was David's initial victory over Goliath a giant that spawned other victories over the giants even in these closing years of his life. His activity gave encouragement to the next generation. 
that they could do the very same and victory was possible over the giants of their generation. David, this is more than you just delivering Israel from an arch enemy. This is more than that. This is more than a solitary victory. This is more than a solitary battle. What this is is setting up a springboard for the generation after you to be successful where you've been successful. For the sake of those of them that come after. David was a giant killer. And as a result of that, the men who would follow him, they're going to be giant killers. What a legacy that he left. He left something for those, for them, that would come after him. This was really not planned as such, but It's already been said, our, our kids, various age groups are on the verge of going back to school. Some already have. The, the Holder family has already went back to school this past Wednesday. And yes, I concur and I agree that, that the generation coming up are facing some things that our generations have never had to face. But understand well that my generation faced some things that the generation before me never faced. And so will, be, so will be the reoccurrence now until Christ returns. Every generation will face something that the generation before them never faced. But here's where the success is going to be given. If the generation before me that faced things they never faced was able to adapt in such a way that they came out still victorious and still profitable against the things they had never seen or those before them had seen. And if they do, then when the new things arise in my life and generation, because they adapted, I understand then if they did it, I can do it too. And I can be successful. But it can't stop at any one generation. I cannot take my children and take them, Mom, back to Grandma and Grandpa. I really can't. I can't take Mariah, now in school, going to be a fifth grader this year. I can't take her to the knees of Grandpa Weisenberger. I can't take her to the knees of Grandma Weisenberger and say, tell him, tell him, Grandma. Tell him, Grandpa. I can't take them, Don. I can't take them to Grandpa Holland. And for him to start to step through Revelation chapter 13 and Daniel 7 and Daniel 8 as he was so good at doing. I can't take her to them. But you know what I can do? Honey, right here. Right here. They adapted. Your dad had some things that he had to go through too. I had to learn how to walk through school when it seemed like I was virtually the only one as well. When nobody else upheld the banner of faith, I was the one. Whenever there were girls in the study hall that looked over me and asked me if I was still a virgin, I would look back and tell them, yes, I am. I had to give that ply. Whenever I was in the psychology class and that little, that little 35 millimeter uh, uh, container for 35 millimeter film, I know some people don't even know what I'm talking about, went by and inside of that cap was marijuana and they were passing that around. You know what, Andrew? I had to say, let it go on by. Why are you saying that? Because I can't take her to grandma and grandpa. 
I can't take her to Theopolis McGee and I can't take her to Emma McGee. I can't take her to the, the first generation that became Christians in my family. But I can't take her right here to where dad stands. I can't take her right here and say, honey, you can do it because me and your mama done it. You can survive because we survived. I'm not telling you it'll be easy, but you can adapt and you can come out on top and we got to do it for them that come after. saved on my iPad I've shared this before I just feel like sharing it again for all those that are entering back into school some are entering back into schools with the spirit of God in them which was not like last year some of them are entering back in schools with, with being baptized in Jesus name which was not the case last year you can go and play brother Mason stand your ground you can do it you can do it there's other people in this place that have done it Maybe sometimes we leave our stories untold. Let me tell you, you need to tell your story. You need to tell your story. You can do it. I'm going to leave the name. I'm going to leave the name off of this. This is years ago now. I even don't know how old this is. Several years ago. It was still, yeah, Facebook was a very new thing, okay? This is several years ago. Listen to me. Mariah, listen to your dad. This is several years ago. I received a private message from a schoolmate. As a matter of fact, it was a schoolmate, one of those two girls that would antagonize me about still being a virgin whenever I was in school. Got a message from a schoolmate. And this, this is what she said. She said, hey, Paul, I just want to let you know that way back in school, you inspired me. I don't know if you remember, but we used to sit next to each other in most classes because of the alphabetical order of our last names. Said anyway, you always had a Bible with you. That's the days that you can still you can still do that if you you can still do that. Don't anybody tell you you can't take your Bible. You can take your Bible to school. Said that those are the days you had your Bible with you in every class, even homeroom. It was always on top of all your other books. She said, "Thank you for that." She said, "It always made me feel guilty about my sin, which was good, but more than that, always thought if I ever was going to be a Christian, I'd want to be like Paul." She said, I almost forgot to tell you the really good news. She says, I am saved. The Lord snatched me up out of the darkness and showed me the light. I've been forgiven and washed clean by the precious, precious blood of Jesus. She says, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. Years of time. Years of time. This year is my 20th year anniversary for having graduated high school. I don't really know what that means. But that was probably every bit of five years ago, maybe 15 years removed. Not in a self-righteous way, but just having a Bible in my hand with the rest of my books, reading it when I had opportunity. Feeling all alone like I was plowing the ground by myself. 15 years later, someone says, you might have not have known it, but that was an inspiration to me. You might not have thought. You thought you maybe you was just carrying your Bible to school, but that was doing something in my heart. And I was saying, if I was ever to make a change, that's how I would want to be. For the sake of them 
Some of us are standing here in a position tonight. Thank God we have a mom or a dad that can be the pattern. That can be the one that goes before us. That we can pick up the nuggets of truth and the encouragement from. But I've been too long already a pastor and in this Christian faith to know. There are too many generation of children that comes into our church. Without support of mother without support of father some are being raised by their grandparents they are unloved and uncared for by the very one that gave birth to them and they're sitting here tonight and what they're looking for is somebody to go before them and I want you to know tonight if you fall among the masses of those that have not a father or a mother that is showing you the way or carving out a path or giving any word of encouragement I want you to know tonight as your pastor I'll be that person I'll be that father. I'll I'll be that nurturer. I'll be that one that says, listen, if you think you're all alone and you can't do it, I beg to differ with you. You can do it. You can be successful. You can be more than a conqueror through him that loved you and gave himself for you. I'm asking people in this place that had others go before them. I'm asking some of us tonight that is of my age and higher. Will you, sir, will you, ma'am, switch rows tonight? Rather than trying to follow now, will you become the leader for somebody else to follow? Will you become the footsteps, amen, that one can follow to find where the Lord is feeding and nurturing his sheep? Will you become a, a, a man or a woman in the life of a boy or a girl here tonight that says, I need somebody that can tell me I can do it I can adapt I can make it for the sake of those that come after these altars are open tonight I feel the Holy Ghost I feel the Holy Ghost I was worried about this this afternoon but I'm not worried right now I feel like I'm I'm walking in God ordered steps right here tonight the spirit is speaking the spirit is drawing hallelujah he's doing a sovereign work Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.